This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And welcome in. Late Kick is live. It is Thursday night. It is August 20th, the year of our Lord. 2020 started this point. Those of you who love the parents' living room set up the other night, we are back here in good old Nashville, Tennessee, or just south of there. We have got probably the most loaded show that we have had since I have been at 24-7. And here's the added good news. It's pretty much all college football. Now, there is still the virus out there, and there is still postponement news, but here's the thing. People have opened camps, and when they are actually practicing and we're actually building towards a season and schedules have actually been released, you can go elsewhere if you want to read about the drama. Here, well, we may have a little drama at the end of the show, but we are talking a lot of college football tonight, and as I have looked forward to since I came here, we are going to very effectively leverage the best by 10 miles network of team insiders in America when it comes to college football and get you more whispers and intel than you would get anywhere else. And we're going to start doing that this very evening. Subscribe to this YouTube channel if you haven't already. We have a lot of plans and we have a lot of content that currently you would describe as in the oven. It'll be a lot of season preview content, a lot of strength of schedule content, a lot of prediction content. And because these shows, we try and keep under 45 minutes long, I can't put it all in the show. So what I'm telling you is there's going to be a lot of stuff coming down the pike on this YouTube channel that you don't see in the show. And that's not just for me, that's from other people too. So subscribe if you haven't already to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. And one more little piece of housekeeping before we get into the show. Right now, on our podcast. It's doing great numbers and I really appreciate it. We are sitting between four and five hundred five-star reviews on Apple Podcast. So I've teased for about a month now the fact that we're eventually taking this Late Kick Live to three nights a week. And I decided why not let you determine when that happens. And so as you can see in the comments below if you're watching on the YouTube channel and if you're listening on podcast you don't even need to look at the link that I posted. When we get to 500 five-star reviews for the Late Kick Podcast, we're taking this to three nights a week. We'll have a Sunday night show, a Tuesday night show, and a Thursday night show. And, if that's not enough, we will also be adding a second Late Kick Extra podcast per week, which is the mailbag strictly Q&A format that we do, and it's for podcast only. So, basically, I can't incentivize any more than I already have. Subscribe to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel, subscribe to the Late Kick podcast, and give us five-star reviews. And if you don't own an iPhone, go find a friend, no doubt, that owns one or five, and give us five-star reviews. And we will very quickly up the amount of content. It'll be like a conveyor belt. And every single day, you'll have something new to listen to. Imagine that. So let's get right into this. What we will do probably from now until the time the season starts is we'll lead almost every show with the latest whispers and intel that we've heard from camps. 
Some of it is public. Some of it you may have read, and I'm just going to dive deeper into it. Some of it you may not have read. Some of it may be, you know, this earpiece that I'm wearing right now. It, it may just be that, you know, Tim Watts has whispered something in our ear from Bama Online, or, or Rusty Manziel's whispered something from other dogs 24-7, and we just need to pass it right along to you. So let's get started. No order here. We're just going to kind of span the nation of the schools that are actually practicing right now. A lot of you have asked, and I intentionally didn't answer it last week because I wanted to push it here. A lot of you are asking about Bryce Young. Understandably so. That is the number one player in America in the last recruiting cycle per the 24-7 sports player rankings. And he is a quarterback now for the University of Alabama. He's a true freshman. Now, the question initially was, he's going to come in. He's an early enrollee. He's going to have all of spring practice. Could he actually unseat Mac Jones? Of course, we all know how that turned out. We lose spring. Nick Saban is a guy who is willing to play a true freshman, but it better be very obvious that that true freshman is his best option. And I definitely don't think, nor did I anyway, but I certainly now don't think that you're going to see Bryce Young trot out there in the starter on the road against Missouri. Here's what I do think. Mac Jones, Colin's showing you moving images of him right now. I think Mac Jones is going to be the starter for Alabama, and I think you're going to see a healthy dose of Bryce Young. Now, I already thought that. The intel that we've gotten from Alabama backs that up. With no spring, here's the question you're going to be asking yourself about Mac Jones, and you're going to be asking this about a lot of guys that are true freshmen. You always have that light bulb moment. Anybody who follows college football, especially at the higher level where you have the four and five star talent coming in that could contribute as true freshmen, you have that light bulb moment. They're early enrollees, they go through spring, and then you hope to hear it during fall camp. The light bulbs come on, they're going to be able to start as true freshmen. Sometimes it takes until week two or week three or week four. Sometimes it doesn't happen at all. But with the way that the calendar's changed on us this year, when do the light bulbs click on? It'll vary to a a wide degree based on player, but that's what I'll watch and will continue to watch and listen for with Bryce Young. Steve Sarkeesian wants him on the field and wants him on the field bad. And he met with the media, his one appearance with the media per year the other day, and uh, he made no bones about that. They're going to play him. They're not starting him. They're going to play him a lot this year. Uh, So the light bulb moment there, you also take this into account. They may have the best offensive line in the country. They are going to be insanely good, will the Alabama Crimson Tide on the offensive line. And they got a really good stable of running backs. And so they can realistically play any style of football they want to this year. Whatever they want to do, they can do. So it's not necessary, in other words, to have a guy go to a tongue of Iloa on you every single game. As for the Miami Hurricanes, let's shift our attention down to Coral Gables, Florida. Now, this is one that I had to do some digging on a little bit. The Hurricanes are a little bit further along in their fall camp and their practice, and I always erroneously sort of intertwine the two, and camp is different than practice, and I know that. But sometimes you'll hear me say camp, you know I mean practice. They had their first scrimmage. Miami had their first scrimmage Sunday. And I think, based on everything I've heard from down there, I think their coaching staff was flat-out stunned at how good their offense looked. Now, we have well chronicled on this show, and nationally it's been well chronicled. Uh, Offense was a disaster last year. They were down near triple digits, down near the 100s in many offensive categories. Well, uh, few certainties in an uncertain world. I don't think that'll be the case this year. Rhett Lashley comes in as new offensive coordinator. Derek King transfers, quarterback from Houston. And so you wonder, okay, well, reasonably, How much improvement can we expect here? Because like everyone else, Miami lost spring. And so here they go 
they're, they're busy installing, they're busy acclimating, they're trying to gel, and Miami's offense just hums right up and down the field, according to intel from people who were there in the first scrimmage. And so you can always tell these head coaches sometimes, the better things have gone in the first scrimmage, the more they're critical to the media because they're trying to temper expectations because you don't want a team thinking they just won the ACC after their first scrimmage in camp, and that's understandable. And that was the mode Manny Diaz was in. If you've listened and or read his comments after that first scrimmage, it tells you a lot, and it backs up what we heard, and it backs up what our Inside the U.com team down there with the uh, 24-7 Miami site heard. And so he's in full temper expectation mode, and now – the added thing that you take away, and everybody that I've heard from Miami has said the same thing. Everyone expects Derek King to come in and be a true dual threat, but you never really, really know what you're expecting when someone just describes a quarterback as a dual threat. And a lot of you may not have watched him at Houston. Here's what stands out the most and what has stood out so far down there. They love him as a passer. They love him as a passer. He is a very, very good passer to the point where if I tied a 50-pound weight around his foot and he couldn't go anywhere, they trust that he could make some things happen even if he was a statue back there. Now you add in the mobility, and if they have the development that they hope they can have, even moderate development, much less uh, insanely insane development like they think they're getting offensively, Miami's going to be really good this year. I know a lot of you kind of scoff at the notion that you see them knocking on the door of some people's preseason top 12, top 10 lists, I don't scoff at that. Someone's going to do it in the ACC outside of Clemson. Someone's going to do it. Could be Miami. Let's go to the Big 12. A team I'm probably watching as close as anyone. We're going to talk about the Big 12 at length later in this show. Texas. Texas I'm watching very, very closely for obvious reasons and then secondary reasons. They have some really, really good depth on the interior of their defensive line. Probably about as good as they've had in quite a while. And now you know if you followed the storylines in the offseason, I'm trying to keep from rehashing everything you've heard a million times. New offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator, but yet you've got some continuity at quarterback, for example. That's a theme, by the way, up and down the Big 12 outside of pretty much Oklahoma, it seems. And so what does Texas look like? Like, Are they going to be able to contend? Uh, Yeah, they're going to be able to contend. That team right there might be my preseason Big 12 champion pick. If I had to make it tonight, which thankfully I don't, because we get to decide when we make our picks, I like Texas. And I like them more and more the more I hear about that depth at key positions, maybe at positions that some of their counterparts in the Big 12 are struggling at. The one thing, if I could pick anything that I could see from Texas and start to hear from Texas, it would be that they're establishing one or ideally a few elite edge rushers. The ability to consistently harass the quarterback, I would love to hear that out of Texas. But right now, you got continuity at the quarterback position, had some injury concerns at wide receiver, so monitor that. Monitor development at the outside positions, whether it be linebacker, defensive end. But that depth that they have on the interior of the defensive line, it's going to go a long way, I think, in determining the Big 12 race this year. Now, if you were watching the news today in the world of college football, you probably heard Uh, terrible news out of Columbia, South Carolina. Marshawn Lloyd was going to be one of the bright spots in the SEC this year. He was a very, very highly touted running back who came in, true freshman for Carolina, was going to be their best running back as soon as he stepped on campus. Well, he tears his ACL yesterday, and that was confirmed by Will Muschamp today. So he's out for the year. Devastating. 
just in a vacuum. Devastating. And then if you followed South Carolina football, you know this is no new headline. Unfortunately, it's just a continuation of bad injury news after bad injury news after bad injury news. I'm not even going to take time tonight to go down the route of is there a trend here? Is there something wrong with strength and conditioning? They just made changes in strength and conditioning. And even if they didn't, you can't ever tell. I was doing radio with Mark Ryan today in the Carolinas. You can never tell injury to injury which one is because of poor form or poor load management and which one was just a true freak injury. You can never tell that. So I don't really play that game, but I will say this. It is um, a continuation of what has been a terribly alarming trend. They do not have a guy in my estimation that's built to be a premier SEC tailback. Hopefully someone up there proves me wrong and surprises me, but I don't look at their roster and see a guy that just this blinking red light just jumps off the depth chart to me. And secondly, you know, what kind of fascinates me right now at Carolina is Mike Bobo's coming. So you got a new offensive coordinator and this is no revolutionary concept kind of hitting the reset button and having everyone compete for a job. But Ryan Helensky and Colin Hill are splitting first-team reps at quarterback up there right now. And I just, I don't necessarily know if anyone's shocked by it. I don't know that Carolina football is, you know, on the forefront of the national radar where people are paying attention to that, the likes of which they would Bryce Young and Mac Jones, for example. But, you know, there's, there's been a lot of talk today. There was a, if you've not been paying attention, a big acquisition verbally by South Carolina just before we came on air. Another five-star quarterback from the state of Georgia leaving the state of Georgia. This is not a recruiting show, at least tonight, though. But for the meantime, he can't play there this year. He's still in high school. So who starts at quarterback? Who in the world is going to be their future tailback? So many questions on that Carolina um, format, if you will, for this season. And with the change up in schedules. We, I was talking to some people earlier today and the, the question on the table was about hot seat talk and who that normally maybe would have been on the hot seat will have their name temporarily removed from the hot seat because it's a COVID year and you can't be firing anyone when football revenues are down. Well, obviously Will Muschamp's been at the forefront of that conversation. That's no news to anyone. But with the cupcake out-of-conference foes removed, and the ability to slowly tune up and get ready for the season removed. And they play, off the top of my head, I know they play Tennessee, LSU, Auburn. There's one more big one in there. They play four extremely losable games, four games they will not be favored in, in their first five. And Vanderbilt's in there somewhere, too. So, And then they play A&M after their bye week. They could be like one and five, one and six. I mean, that's worst case, obviously. But what happens? Like Someone asked the question this morning, as I was presenting the argument that I don't really think a lot of people are going to be fired this year, they said, okay, that's all well and good. Like that makes sense in August, but you're really going to sell two and eight. You're really going to sell even three and seven. You're going to sell that to your donors, to your alumni, to your team. You're going to sell that. I don't know. That's, that's my rebuttal. I don't know. Let's stay in the SEC and wrap it up here in the East. Actually, the Florida offensive line is another point of emphasis again this year. It seems like it's been this way pretty much every year so far, but here's the good news. The good news is, I guess it's, it's not bad news. I can assure you of that. They're a lot more veteran and they're a lot more experienced along that offensive line. Now here's what I've been watching. I've been asking questions along this line. I think that they are probably very underrated at their wide receiver spot this year. And also, if you followed the transfer news in the offseason, you know, Damian Pierce is a guy that I think 
If you open up your preseason magazines, I don't know because I haven't looked at one yet, to be honest with you. They're kind of useless with all the opt-outs and transfers. But if you open up your preview magazines, I would venture to guess Damian Pierce is listed as the starting running back for Florida. But Lorenzo Lingard transferred in from Miami really quick. Really good talent now, but really quick. And they got about three wide receivers who you would classify as legit speed guys, like burner type guys. They got a lot of speed offensively. I know you always say that about Florida, but I think they're very underrated in that department. And it all goes back to, will their offensive line allow them to maximize that unit's potential? Now, here's what's funny. And please, let me caveat this. Giant caveat. What is a caveat? Uh, Whatever it is, just apply a 72-point font caveat to what I'm about to say. This is not some comparison of Florida this year and LSU last year. But I do remember this time last year, I had belief in Joe Burrow. I had belief in their wide receiver core, obviously. I had belief in the running backs. It was the offensive line that you were asking the most questions about towards LSU. Well, that offensive line went on to win the Joe Moore Award for the best offensive line in America. So if Florida even gets a fraction of the result that LSU's questioned offensive line got from the preseason last year, Florida could very well win the SEC East. So that's where we are on Camp Intel, and we'll be doing that continuously here and try to bring you as much stuff that probably is not a headline on national websites as possible up to and then through the 2020 season. Let's move on. I uh, intentionally didn't touch on LSU there because I'm about to touch on LSU here. Churn rate is just off the charts. Churn. Now, you've ever been on the side of a boat and you just watch what the ocean does behind the boat when you go through? It just, the water churns. That's LSU's roster right now. I was thinking earlier today, because I've been doing segments about LSU for several months now, talking about how everyone's kind of, well, not everyone. Some people have been automatic to write LSU off this year and just expect them to, I don't know what exactly. I mean, I've heard everything but from fade to uh, you know, go out of sight, to just come back to the pack. I don't know what people expect, but very few people expect them to duplicate what they did last year. But there is nothing in this world. Well, there are a few things maybe, but in the sports world, there are a few things worse than the I told you so guy. I played high school baseball and uh, little league baseball for that matter with a kid who uh, lived in the neighborhood next to me. He knows, he knows who he is. And he would predict a home run every at bat. He'd call his home run every time. And he hit a few in his career and would come back to the dugout with the audacity to say, called it, told you. Well, you called it every time, man. What happened to the other 99% of your at-bats? Don't worry about those. I called this one. Well, there are a lot of people right now who have called their shot with LSU. And they have called it essentially the day after the NFL draft. And they said, okay, all these kids went to the draft. Uh, LSU, uh, they're, they're fading, man. They're coming back to the pack lightning in a bottle last year. You've heard all the old cliches. Lightning in a bottle. They'll be back to normal. No one could ever replace that much talent. So my question is, what is downfall? For anyone predicting LSU's downfall this year, what qualifies as downfall? If they don't win the national championship, was that a downfall? If they don't win the SEC West, was that a downfall? Is 8-2 and two a downfall? Is 6-4 and four a downfall? Like, what's the threshold? Everyone's been asking this about COVID. Like, what's the threshold here? When can we play and not play? Well, I want to know what's a downfall for LSU. So the LSU situation, which we need to hit the reset button on in light of recent events, is truly unprecedented. I follow this sport very closely. I don't know when I've ever seen this. Let me hit you with some numbers. Let's go back to national championship. 
LSU wins it. The purple and gold confetti rains down in New Orleans, and then guys start declaring for the NFL draft. And it was an exodus to the NFL draft. 14 LSU players are drafted. Another six go on to be signed onto NFL rosters. So they lost 20 guys off that team just to the NFL. Then you lose Joe Brady and you lose Dave Aranda. And of course, Joe Burrow, by the way, Heisman winning quarterback, number one draft pick. He was part of that exodus to the draft. That's bad enough. Do you know what's happened since then? Since then, they've had 11 more guys, whether it be from opt-outs or dismissals or transfer, that have exited, stage left, right, wherever. Well, start doing the math here. This sentence from Shea Dixon on Go 24-7 today or yesterday when he wrote it just slapped me in the face. Here's the sentence. won't take that long. Quote, LSU entered fall camp Monday with 31 players gone from the 2019 roster. That's a new team. That's, it's not a new program because program's different than team. This is a whole new team. Now, in reality, every year is a new team, even if you return every starter. But you understand what I mean. This is quite literally a new team. Incredible. 31 players you only sign 25 per recruiting class. And normally, you know, like if you're Clemson, for example, most of the time Clemson can't even get close to 25 because they don't have enough guys leaving to open up roster spots. LSU just lost 31 off one team. They lost 31. And so naturally, that's going to create holes because the draft departures were one thing. But now, I mean, they've lost a couple of defensive ends. You, you probably look at it and say, our best bet right now is to play defensive tackles or at least guys who should be defensive tackles at defensive end. We're bringing in a new defensive coordinator, personnel questions notwithstanding. You got questions, suffice to say, even the most diehard of LSU fans would have to admit to me, we got questions on defensive line. We got questions on offensive line. Pass rush is my single biggest worry with this team right now. But I don't think this sinks LSU. LSU is still going to be incredibly talented this year. If you were to just, a lot of people need to remove last year and remove the concept of how many guys they lost. If you didn't know anything, if you were just brought in onto this planet from outer space today, and you were to just look at LSU's roster, because magically you would show up knowing everything about football, if you just looked at LSU's roster right now, you'd look at them and you'd say, I mean, outside of a couple of rosters in America, this is still comparable with what the rest of them have. Like this team right here should be able to compete in every single game they play. You'd be right. It's just that you do have last year in your memory, and you do have that 31, as the number stands right now, guys who were on that team that won't be on this team. And so naturally, it's hard to calibrate properly, and everyone expects this wild swing, you know, like the carnival ride that goes way up here and then way up over here. Here's the thing. This doesn't sink LSU. LSU is still going to be competitive with a chance to win every game they play. Every game they play, including against Alabama, including against Auburn, every game they play this year, they're going to have a chance to win. Here's the difference. Whereas last year, you play Florida and it goes on to be a a two-score win, a hard-fought battle, but a two-score win. Every one of them are dogfights this year. Every one of them. And instead of you know, going up on Alabama and then protecting your lead, it may be one of them up on you a couple of times in the year, and you're trying to fight and claw your way back in the game. You will not. I don't care what planet you're playing on. I don't care how many times you simulate it. Everyone knows you're not having this kind of impact on your roster. 
and you just seamlessly transition and, oh, we're still good. But here's what I do believe. While this certainly adversely impacts LSU, I am telling you there will be carryover from last season. Last season, a lot of the dynamics, I'm not going to bore you, I'm not going to repeat what we've talked about, but a lot of what was so exciting for LSU folks was not the 2019 team. Yes, that was great. Yes, that was a memorable season. But what was so exciting to them was the characteristics and the telltale signs and all the hallmarks and earmarks were there of something that had been injected into their program that was going to last well beyond 2019. That doesn't mean they couldn't lose two or three games this year, but there's a different DNA about their program to where if they go seven and three this year, very few of them are going to say, we're back to our old ways, whatever in the world that's supposed to mean. It's all right. I mean, realistically, this is what we should have expected, but it's still a new day down here. Like we're still committed to all the same things that won us a title last year. And we're recruiting at as good a level as we have in my lifetime, however old you may be. Like we're going to be right back in the mix next year. And we don't have to worry every year about whether we're going to average over 17 points offensively in a game. We are committed to what we need to be committed to. We're good. So it doesn't mean they've sunk themselves this year. It does mean they're going to have a lot of dogfights. Probably not going to be many people's picks to win a national championship, but then again, they weren't last year either. So with all due respect, I think I've earned the right to speak for LSU folks. They don't really care what you think. They didn't last year. They don't this year. Going to be fun to watch, though. Speaking of fun to watch, the best transitions are the unplanned transitions. Got a lot of people watching, by the way. Hey, subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't already. The Big 12 is just flat out wide open this year. I know that maybe if you have been preoccupied, and understandably so with a lot of non-football related matters over the last few months, you may just have the automatic defaulting setting in your head for the Big 12 of it's Oklahoma's until someone proves otherwise. And that's fine. I can fully understand that mentality. But there's the old Big 12 schedule Colin's showing you if you're watching on the uh, 24-7 Sports YouTube channel here. And boy, oh boy. I'm seeing some lazy predictions out there. Let me tell you, it's not lazy to predict Oklahoma to win the Big 12. Okay, if, if anything, that's just using conventional wisdom. But it is lazy if you're doing it just because uh, it's Oklahoma. I mean, no one else out there matches them. I give Oklahoma every benefit of the doubt. So you're not telling me anything about Oklahoma. I don't already know. But I think I may be about to tell you something that if you haven't been paying attention to college football over the last few months, you may not know. That Sooner team is vulnerable. Right now, they know they're vulnerable. And while they may eventually get some guys back, a lot of questions. May still very well win the Big 12. May still be a playoff team. But if they are that this year, they will have answered emphatically a lot of questions in a very impressive manner. So I, it's my opinion that the Big 12 is wide open right now. And it's also my opinion, a lot of them out there know it. Texas knows it. TCU knows it. Uh, Baylor, Iowa State. You know, I have some bias here because for some reason I adopted Iowa State as my program in the Big 12 a long time ago. Never been to Iowa. Maybe change that this year. We'll see. But a lot of them out there know it. So let's dive in. I don't need to rehash this for Sooner fans or maybe for diehard Big 12 fans. But if you're just playing catch up, even you probably know, okay, Jalen Hurts, he had a storybook year out there, storybook career, and now Spencer Rattler, that kid who was highly touted one time, and I think he's a redshirt freshman, or that's probably what you think about Spencer Rattler. You know the name, and you've seen his name in the preview magazines, you've seen his face on the front of the magazines, and okay, well, listen, if he's good enough for Lincoln Riley, he's good enough for me. Again, not a bad strategy to have in life. Spencer Rattler starts at quarterback, think you know what you're going to get, don't know what you're going to get. 
But then you have a lot of questions. Kennedy Brooks, for example, who was going to be their starting tailback, opts out of the season. And that's after Trey Sermon, because Kennedy Brooks was in the way, transferred to Ohio State, where, I don't know if you've heard this or not, they're not going to have college football this year. So if we were sitting here in January, the two options for OU at running back that we thought they'd have are both gone. I know you guys have a lot of promising young talent there. I don't think that they are chewing their fingernails off at night in Norman, Oklahoma, worried about whether they're going to have a competent tailback or two or three to put on the field. But you're not as good at that position as you were before those departures. I think we can all admit that. We move on. We've had uh, a couple of pass rushers lost for, to varying degrees of season for DUI and, and drug charges. Had a couple of receivers, whether it be an injury, I think, to Hazelwood had a, a DUI or a drug charge with another one up there too. So basically, I don't need to go down all this list. But running back is at the least a question there. Depth along the defensive line is a major, major question there. And also, you know, wide receiver, which you never think about with Oklahoma. You just think that they uh, grow them on trees. Hey, it's a question out there right now. Not to mention quarterback, because you just assume you know what you have at quarterback. So my point is, there is not one team and everyone else out there right now. There are a lot of teams out there that can win the Big 12 this year. OU is certainly one of them, but I think Texas is one of them. I think Iowa State's one of them. A lot of people really love TCU as a dark horse team out there. Many things seem crazy until they happen, is my point. Like, if you're picking Iowa State to win the Big 12, you're probably not going to have a lot of company, and you're probably going to be called crazy, but yet, what do we say? We don't make fun of predictions on this show. Because every year, the college football season ends up giving us a result or multiple results that if were predicted in August, would have been laughed at. So we know it's going to happen somewhere this year. It's just, will the Big 12 be the place where it does happen? I told you earlier in the show, I was looking at Texas today. Like, Texas may be my favorite to win the Big 12. If I had to pick this today, Texas may be my favorite. Uh, Selfishly, I will root for Iowa State. As I've already told you, I won't let it get in the way, but I will root for Iowa State. But Texas may be my favorite. But my question is this, because I don't think there's a ton of separation regardless of who you're picking. I want to know who's coming from that middle of the pack. Now, when I say middle of the pack, I mean perceptionally. Because a team like Oklahoma State, I think a lot of folks put in the middle of the pack, like the, the second tier, if you will, in the Big 12. The reality is they may very well be a top 10 team this year. So perception and reality, two different things. But let's talk perception nationally. Like if you live in Raleigh, North Carolina, you know Oklahoma, and then you know Texas as the challenger every year, but you're not well-versed in other Big 12 matters. You got Brock Purdy, my guy up at Iowa State, who's returning. You got Charlie Brewer at Baylor, new head coach, but you got a quarterback returning there. You got Skylar Thompson returning at Kansas State. And of course, Spencer Sanders, we were talking about there with Oklahoma State. And you've got a lot of continuity and a lot of experience at the most important position in America at the quarterback spot in this conference. And I didn't even mention Texas, for example. So you got it there. And then also, Colin showed you a couple of times that little grid schedule. I prefer helmets on the grid, but hey, logos work too. If you'll take a look at the Big 12 schedule this year, either now or in your own leisure time, it's not going to be a situation for Oklahoma, for example, in the one, two, th- on the fifth column from the left. You notice how they start the season in conference play? 
they don't, it's not like that Oklahoma State schedule where they get a couple of tune-ups and then a bye and then they ease into it. Oklahoma's got K-State, Iowa State, and Texas first three weeks. They take a bye and they've played TCU, Texas, Iowa State, and Kansas State all before Halloween. In other words, it's not a time to have a bunch of guys missing potentially half a season because of drug or DUI offenses or maybe injury. Not the time. Not the way you want it to shake out there. So Oklahoma State, I think, has a schedule in this conference, as much as I was talking about Texas there. Oklahoma State, if I were to pick a schedule out of all those, I'd take the Oklahoma State schedule. It's well-spaced. I don't have this three-game stretch where I'm going through any kind of gauntlet I get to ease into things, even if I don't need to. I get to ease into things a little bit, you would, you would expect at least. So I know we talk a lot about the SEC and it's anyone's game, and we, it's the antithesis of that in the ACC. But the other of the big three this year being the Big 12, I think there's a misconception out there. Oh, it's just Oklahoma's to lose. Well, you can say that if you want to. I mean, they've earned the right to have benefit of the doubt. I'm just telling you, It would have surprised me last year if anyone else came out of that conference. It would not surprise me this year. I hope I haven't been unclear. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. Uh, I wanted to touch on something, because a lot of you have asked about it, so I wanted to at least touch on it. I don't know what I can add, but I'm going to touch on it here. There are a lot of mad people in the Big Ten not the least of which reside in the conference office. I'm talking about you, and there's a growing sense of a total detachment between your leadership. If you're a Big Ten fan, if you're a Big Ten parent, there is this total gulf between you, like the 99% up there, and then the 1% that kind of apparently live in this, this nice administrative bureaucratic bubble And these were the same people, well chronicled, well documented now, gave you a schedule six days later, pulled the rug of the season out from under you. But do you want to really know how it's obvious that these people are detached from reality? They did not expect any pushback from you. It's growing more and more obvious that Kevin Warren, and I'm not one to heap a bunch of coals into this guy's t-shirt, by the way, because I think there are a lot of blame to go around to a lot of people up there most of whom you don't know the names of. There are university presidents and some other power players up there, and it's his job. He gets paid a lot of money to shoulder the blame. But these people didn't even think you'd push back. And I don't know, you could ask yourself, how could you ever be that ignorant? I'm not here to answer that, because like I, I live in the real world along with you. These folks don't just assume they live in the real world. If you've ever seen that gas station video, kind of went viral a couple of weeks ago, where you know you're, someone is taking the time to film this lady who, who is pulled into a gas station, and she's trying to figure out which side is my gas pump on. And this is not a new car, by the way, that we're looking at. And so she pulls up, and oh my goodness, didn't pull into the right side. Pumps over here, tanks over here. So then she loops it around to where she pulls back up to a new pump, but she's pulled in in the same direction. So try number two, swing and a miss. And so then she gets out, she sees the arrow of her ways, gets back in, use it around again, try number three, 
swing and a miss again. And you're looking at it, and this lady goes back and forth and back and forth. It's a full-grown adult. Like, she's allowed to vote. She is taking an automobile on the open road. She's putting all of our lives in danger because this lady can't even figure out how to pump gas. And the point is, you're watching it the whole time, and you're thinking, I don't know what to say. I have no words. I'm speechless. Even an auctioneer would be speechless watching that. That's how I felt watching the Big Ten and watching this complete calamitous cluster fill in the blank that's gone down up there. And the statement that was finally put out by the league office, who knows who wrote that thing, but the statement that they passed off as Kevin Warren's statement after eight days of silence was largely laughable. It was totally reactionary. It involved or included no answers to the very simple question that a lot of you, not the least of whom being parents, have asked up there, which is why not your lawyer's version of why. We want to know actual, tangible reasons why. And Big Ten parents are mad, and they have not accepted, to say the least, the excuses that the Big Ten has given them. You had to know this was coming. I'll tell you when I knew this was coming. When they released a statement, they being the Big Ten, when they released that statement when they were canceling or postponing the season, and not only did they say we're postponing it, but it is abundantly clear. Those two words... That was a reason why I came on this program and said, pay attention, underline those two words, italicize them, bold them, abundantly clear. Anything that's abundantly clear is seen by pretty much everyone with a rational, competent head on their shoulders. There was nothing abundantly clear about this. The only thing abundantly clear is the reasons you were being given for the postponement and the actual reasons for the postponement were two different things, and you were being lied to, and you're still being lied to, in my humble opinion, by a lot of people in the Big Ten. But it was so abundantly clear that you were given no data to back it up. Now, rational people soon came to the conclusion that, wait a second, if it's abundantly clear and it's medically based, then that means you've got some data that the rest of, at the very least, the rest of the sport needs to see, if not the rest of the world. There's no reason to keep it cloaked in secrecy. This is not NASA. You don't work for the government. Why? Where's the transparency at? Well, the reason is because there wasn't anything that was abundantly clear. And so then the follow-up question is, why the secrecy? If, if you want to play the game, we all know the real reason. They don't have anything to give you. But if we want to go down this road and we want to play the game, and we want to believe that it really was abundantly clear and all the reasons they had uh, passed the smell test, why no transparency? Why no sharing of anything? Why no explanation to the people this actually impacts? Not just fans, but of course, players, coaches. You got folks in the dark, and we don't even know if there was an actual vote taken up there. You got presidents, chancellors. Uh, maybe there was a vote. Maybe there wasn't a vote. I guess I need to remind some people. It's been reported. I mean, I've finally seen people talking about this. But the day after this happened, when I was doing this show, I said, you know, these aren't private institutions. Aside from Northwestern, 13 of the 14 schools in the Big Ten are public universities. You know what that means? The folks that are working behind that curtain over there making these decisions, guess who pays their salary? You do. So, humbly and respectfully... You got a right to feel any way you want to about this, and you can scream as loud as you want to about it. They should be giving you answers. Whether you accept them or not, they should at least be giving you answers up there. But the Big Ten parents, you know, the Iowa parents have pushed back really 
forcefully today. I know Justin Fields' dad's been outspoken. I think they're planning some action tomorrow at Big Ten headquarters. More power to you. Uh, I'll be checking it out. I know that. Can't make it to Indianapolis tomorrow. Got some things to do, but I'll be pulling for you. Uh, Several questions that I thought were very reasonable that they asked in their statement that they released yesterday or today. They got several people in the medical field, a Michigan doctor, for crying out loud, uh, who has, if anything, rooting interest on the Big Ten side of the fence in this thing, has come out and said, the, the reasons that they're giving, unless they have something more, and why haven't they released it if they do, unless they have something more, what they've given you right now was this thing that they expected to be able to hand you with a bunch of long medical terminology and seven-syllable words, and they just expected you to say, okay, I guess that's true, and then move on. But the problem is there are a lot of folks out there who actually have degrees in that medical field, just like you do, and they've pushed back pretty fiercely on this and said, uh, this doesn't stand up at all. I had one reach out to me, one with those, those three letters next to his name, the P and the H and the D next to his name, and he said, hey, I don't know if you're interested in this or not, but this whole uh, myocarditis, I think that's what it's called. I'm not the expert, but he is. This whole deal they're trying to pass off to you is some new revelation they've discovered up there. Uh, here's, here's research that I was doing on it 20 years ago. This is no new revelation. And if that's really what they're standing on, it's clear that's not a decision that was made for medical purposes. It was a decision that was made by lawyers with maybe a doctor sitting in the back of the room to rubber snap something. So lawsuits, I think, are coming is what I'm telling you there. It's going to be a big mess. I don't think the heat's being turned down anytime soon in the Big Ten. But I saw someone today say... Well, I think this is false, but one of the tenets of crisis management is when you find yourself in hot water, some people in the crisis management world will tell you, just sit still and take it because they only chase as long as you run. And if you don't run and you just lay there, no one wants to beat a dead horse for a long time. That is normally sound advice. That is not going to work here. They view you as running. You're sitting still, no doubt. I mean, you were in silence for eight days. You could have been in the Caribbean on vacation, for all I know. But you're running as long as you haven't given them the information that's pretty reasonable that they're asking for. And you're not going to get a publicized vote count on this. You're not going to get that. I tweeted it out yesterday. You're not going to get that unless someone leaks the information. As much as you should get it, you're not going to get it. But I heard someone say that today, and then I heard someone say... I mean, why, why take any further action? It can't get any worse. You know, you're dealing with the worst of the storm right now if you're the Big Ten. Just weather it and then move on, and eventually you'll be okay. Really? You may be. You may be if those three other conferences have to cancel their seasons. Then you'll be okay. Then you'll be able to look them back in the eye, cross your arms, and say, looks like we knew what we were doing all along, doesn't it? However, as I have said from the outset, If you don't move in lockstep, if all these power fives don't cancel simultaneously and a couple of them go out and two or three of them stay at it, and those two or three that stay at it get their seasons off the ground and they're able to carry them through to the conclusion, you have not seen anything yet, the likes of which you will see in the Big Ten from parents, from players, from coaches, from assistants, on down the line. If the SEC is playing football in week six, if the ACC in week seven, Big 12, week eight, if they're playing football, if they're marching towards a conference championship Saturday in December, they will burn it to the ground in the Big Ten. And you'll see wholesale changes up there. And I think a lot of people, I've got some split responses on this, but I think a lot of Big Ten fans, 
even some of whom despise the SEC. I think they're pulling for the conferences that are still in the game to get their seasons off the ground because while it may be a negative short term for you competing against those conferences and recruiting and whatnot, a lot of you rightfully are looking at the situation saying that's probably what it's going to take to hit the dump button on a lot of folks that don't belong in leadership positions up here. And if that's the case, I'll hold my nose and I'll scream War Eagle or Go Sooners all I need to. Boomer Sooner, my bad. I'll scream it all I need to this year if that's what it takes. And I've sensed that as a growing sentiment in the Big Ten. So that's where I am right now. I don't know where you are. I've seen a lot of your comments. Uh, remember, by the way, as I told you before, um, so if you were tuned in then, you're probably still tuned in now. We are going to three nights a week, Late Kick Live, three nights a week, as soon as we get 500 five-star reviews on the Late Kick podcast on Apple Podcasts. So either go there yourself or take your friend's iPhone and do it for them. But get us to 500 and boom, three nights a week and another edition. So two editions per week of the Late Kick Extra podcast. It's been a long day. So we're going to take it to the house now and we're going to edit some video and uh, we're going to go to sleep tonight and sleep well. This was a loaded show. This is how every show will be. As long as we got football seasons in front of us, this is what you can expect from every show here. So again, if you haven't subscribed already, subscribe to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. As I told you at the outset, we got a lot of content coming, some real team-specific content coming. You know, like you may wake up one day and we've done a full comprehensive preview for the Florida Gators or uh, the the Texas Longhorns, and you're going to see it on the channel. You won't see it on the show. So make sure you subscribe so you'll catch all that. And click that bell for notifications so you know exactly when we do something. All right, I'm done talking. That's too much for me. Let's get out of here. For Director Colin, for Tani, the uh, podcast team, actually. Got a team over there. I am Josh Pate. Thanks for watching. Have a great rest of your week, and God bless.